0: to another episode of no such thing as a fish a weekly podcast coming to you from the qi offices in covent garden my name is dan schreiber and i am sitting here with james harkin andrew hunter murray and alex bell and once again we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven
1: days and in no particular order here we go starting with you Alex. My fact this week is that 1% of the entire planet's wood supply is turned into IKEA furniture. Bullshit. It's <laughs> <laughs> true.
0: But they've only got 400 or so shops globally. Have yeah. you ever been to one? Yeah, but they're like, pretty big. Think about how many books there are, right, yeah, in the world and how many lot. trees are needed for that. So if you think of an Amazon warehouse globally, all the warehouses, surely more wood goes there. I think the amount of
1: volume that passes through those shops is huge. So one of the reasons that their furniture is so cheap is the way they've packaged it. So when you if you open up like an Ikea bookcase uh, package, it's incredibly tightly packed together. There's very little polystyrene in it and that's like part of it's so cheap, apparently.
2: So also, you have to um, transport it from one place to another, but you're not transporting any air, which yeah. is yes. heavy when you put a lot of it in a mm-hmm. lorry. transport in their, <laughs>
0: their wooden lorries. That they... <laughs>
2: um, so, one thing that you can't really flat pack is sofas and armchairs mm-hmm. um, because they just come as one big object, mm-hmm. don't they? And so, one way they tried to fix that was by making inflatable sofas. Uh, and by making these inflatable sofas, they would reduce the use of raw materials by 85% and transport volume by 90%. Wow. And the idea was you would buy this inflatable sofa, you blow it up at home, and then you'd put some um, cloth over it, and you wouldn't know that it was air. So, basically.
0: but aren't they effectively manufacturing furniture for bouncy castles?
2: Yeah, yeah. But b- <laughs> bouncy castles are quite um, comfortable. I yeah don't know if you've ever sat on one. I've who? never watched a whole film on a bouncy castle though. <laughs> and I do I do want to do that sometimes. Who was it who did um who oh, was, it was it? Will Seawood. Yeah, Will Seawood. Yes. Our,
3: our friend comedian Will Seawood did Bouncy Castle Hamlet and Bouncy Castle Macbeth.
2: But in that case he was <laughs> acting on the Bouncy Castle rather than people watching on the Bouncy yeah, Castle. That's true.
3: I would go to a bouncy theatre. Yes. But that's because a lot of theatres have very uncomfortable seats.
2: Yeah. Hang on, so did but this work? also
1: you constantly get an obstructive view because everyone in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> <is> like...
2: <laughs> um, so did this work? Well, it did work up to a point in that they were, you could sit on them. Um, the problem was they picked up a lot of static electricity and so they turned into massive dust collectors. So oh. your sofa would be full of dust. And also they didn't really weigh anything. So, um, so they float, float away <laughs> Yeah that's basically it They would kind of float away from where you left them So the one good thing about a sofa is It's always in the same place yeah. right? it's I always... don't think that's the one good thing about a sofa <laughs> <laughs> it's, not one the... it's one of the good things Oh sure it's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> So this is like a hover sofa It was a bit like that Basically um, in the stores They would all start to gather in one <laughs> yeah. corner of the
1: store <laughs> <laughs> like And
2: one of the workers at IKEA Said they were like a gathering of swollen hippos <laughs> Wow <laughs> Can you imagine coming into work and then all of the selfies have moved to one part of it. I'd look
1: terrified. You would
0: be. You'd be yeah. paranoid that they're conspiring against you. you have caught them mid-meeting, like Toy Story.
3: <laughs> so that's the thing about um, Ikea, is that the stores, famously, you can only go around them one way. Oh, yeah. There's a few shortcuts. Yeah. I've heard this, yeah. yeah.
1: So like often there's like the door section, and they're
3: all
2: fake doors, and one of them's a real door. <laughs> it's <if you find laughs> it, <you get> <laughs> true. Like, and, you and you have two Ikea workers. One of them's always allowed <laughs> to yeah. tell the truth. me. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um,
3: but the, the Guardian did a thing about uh, the architecture of an Ikea shop, and they interviewed a few uh, architecture professors, and they found that 60% of Ikea purchases are impulse. The reason they get so many impulse purchases is that you have to put an item in your trolley when you see it, because otherwise you probably won't see it again, because you're going around the whole shop uh, one yeah, way. Yeah, so yeah. you always, just sort of sling it in, you think, oh, I'll put it there for the moment.
2: Yeah, I always go around twice. Once making a mental image of everything I want to buy. Do
3: you really? (laughs) Everyone in the IKEA
1: control room was like, Who is this freak? And they were just watching him on the monitors.
3: That's like those mind palaces, isn't it? You have
2: a mind IKEA (laughs) shop (laughs) that's full of hundreds and hundreds of items. Um, Do you know about Yanja Wintersoul? No. Okay, she has a mind palace And she was given a week to memorize all 328 pages And 4,818 items of the 2018 IKEA catalogue And she managed to do it Wow You're kidding, really? Well, as as in people have tested her and she's got everything right Yeah That's amazing Yeah,
1: twice as many IKEA catalogues are printed every year as Bibles Are there? Yeah and 75% of the Ikea catalogue is CGI. It's not real. What? What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, what does that mean? They're not, they're not the pictures aren't real. Look, the furniture is real if you buy it. You're not just like, going to fall through your sofa. Yeah. I mean, like, the pictures aren't actual pictures of the product. The item. They're the CGI oh, rendering yeah. of the They're actually Andy Circus pretending yeah. to be
0: <laughs> a sofa. <laughs> just speaking of the catalogue and memory of uh, all the items, all the items obviously have very odd names. So yes. you'd have to be memorising these very odd names as well. Like Billy bookcase. Case? Exactly. And it was, uh, it was revealed this year um, why they're called what they're called, okay. all the items at Ikea. And it's mm. to do with the founder and the fact that uh, Kamprad, is is her name, he is the K in Ikea. Okay. I can't remember his first name, but it oh, begins with I. Oh, Ingvar. Yeah. And the initial is his first name, his second name, and then I believe it's his, the town he lived in, the lake that he lived next
1: to. The farm where he grew up and then his hometown.
0: There we go. Yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, he had dyslexia. And right. so he found it impossible to um, just memorize regular codes and regular names. So they came up with this system whereby everything in Ikea was given something that he could relate to so that he could he could memorize the category of name that it has. So, for example, um, if it's a bed textile, it will be named after a flower or a plant. So he'll know, OK, it's going to be a flower or a plant. That's, okay. that's easy to remember. Beds, wardrobes and hall furniture are Norwegian name places. Bookcases are either Scandinavian boy names or professions. Um, and so every little
2: product has its own category of, um, of theme. But all of his children are named after things that you can get in a house. <laughs> so he's got a child called Bed and another one called <laughs> yes, yes. There's another
3: 1% fact here. Because okay. Billy Bookcases, there are about 60 million in the world, which is nearly one for every 100 people.
2: Ooh. There's yeah. one person in a hundred. Does
3: anyone here have a Billy bookcase? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I've got How three. Many
2: you got- You've got three. Yeah. I've got three as well, I think. I, got- I used to have some, but I don't anymore. I've got one. So that's seven between us. So we are uh, we have more than average. That's more than one so percent. Yeah. <laughs> that's more than one percent. <laughs> what we would actually need is um not point not four of one. them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Matt banter there <laughs> um, They also use 1% of the world's cotton Every year, according to them Do they? Yeah. Mm. Camprad used to be a Nazi I know,
0: it was Sorry. such a shame He seemed like such a quirky, fun character And then it got to that bit of the
3: well, story It's the elephant in the room yeah. And the elephant is wearing a swastika armband, I'm afraid Yeah. Uh, well, he's, he has apologized for it very profusely since then He was a teenager He was mm. 17 in 1943 So uh, he wasn't yeah. involved in the early stages We can say that Do you remember the actor Haley
0: Joel Osment? Yes. Yeah. He was in The Sixth Sense. Exactly. The kid in The Sixth Sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He was discovered in an Ikea.
2: What's he? (laughs) His his parents had (laughs) lost him three years (laughs) earlier. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Haley Joel Osment. um, He was in, in Burbank in America. They have an Ikea. He was inside it. And there were just people sitting there taking photos casting kids basically Mm. and they it was just a desk and said come over have your photo taken and we'll put you up for casting and so he was with his parents walking through ikea saw that sat down they took photos of him and he immediately got cast for a pizza hut commercial for their new bigfoot pizza so
3: they uh, had a I range now i find
0: out where dan found this
1: yeah. from. <laughs> <It's absolutely laughs> tangential ikea information <laughs> with the keyword bigfoot right at the end <laughs> you have a google alert set up for bigfoot <laughs>
0: <laughs> so while he was on tv robert zemeckis or tom hanks must have seen it because they then called him in or the casting director certainly for the movie forrest gump so he before he was oh, in right. Sixth Sense, he plays forrest gump's son at the end of the movie oh. does he and then he went on
3: to Sixth Sense and so on but discovered in an ikea what was the main feature of the big Foot pizza. Why was it called a Bigfoot pizza? I reckon it must have been big. Was it shaped like a foot? It tasted like feet. <laughs> <laughs> it's big and it
0: tastes oh. like a foot. Or
1: you ordered it, open it, and nothing was there.
0: <laughs> Just a blurry photo of a pizza.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is James.
2: Okay, my fact this week is that the Nazca people would employ someone to walk around with a dead fox on their head. Cool,
0: so the Nazca people, these are the people of Peru from...
2: From my holiday. From your holiday. (laughs) I've just come back from Peru. Uh, And I want to talk about Peru, because I think it's amazing.
3: I found it quite hard finding out about this fact, James. And I presume that's because you got the fact from a tour guide
2: or from some intrinsic, (laughs) esoteric bit of local James was the guy that they employed (laughs) to walk around. (laughs) Uh, I got this from an exhibition at the National Art Museum of Lima. uh, And it was someone who listens to this podcast called Patricia who took me and my wife round. And one of the things they had in this museum was a dead fox and apparently what happened was if you were growing um, crops and you wanted to scare the birds away they didn't have scarecrows they would have a person with a fox on their head <laughs> so the birds flying around would see the fox and think oh that's a fox so I'm not going to go down and eat the crops So it's like a human scarecrow
0: that's great but why wouldn't all farmers just then not wear a dead fox on their head every day
2: well because
3: they're heavy aren't they are heavy are they a whole fox? Yeah. A whole fox is different. It's
2: pretty much like... it's just, The one that they had in the museum was like a spread out... Um, mm, carpet kind of thing. Kind of a carpet thing, yeah. You can right.
1: get fox um, shawls, you know, like scarves that yes. like posh
2: old women wear in the nineteen. Yeah, but a bird's not going to get tricked by that. No, true. but you'd look amazing. Um, <laughs> I think... Um, I'm not sure it was actually a fox... Because I okay, looked
1: Okay, well, there's facts.
2: <laughs> That's why I couldn't find it online. It might, Were you it, even in Peru? <laughs> I have a feeling it might have been a Zorro, which is a. Um, the Mask of Zorro. <laughs> Zorro is a Peruvian desert fox. A faux fox. Mm, Uh, Um, But the Nazcas are famous. They're pre-Columbian, so before the Europeans went over to um, Peru. And they're most famous because they lived in the desert and they made these massive lines in the middle of the desert which you can go and visit and um, you fly over them and you can see all these different shapes of things. Were they 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 amazing to see? They were quite amazing to see, yeah. Basically because I always wanted to. Yeah. Uh, And so I was impressed by them.
0: Were Um, they larger than you would have expected.
2: They were smaller to me because I was a long way away in an aeroplane. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. But some are bigger than others and you have lots of shapes of animals and stuff and there are some massive ones which are just a triangle so they're a bit shit. Mm. But then there are smaller ones <laughs> <laughs> which are like a monkey or something or a, or a killer whale and they're really cool. That
3: that's That's very cool. So... They didn't know what they looked like. Is this the latest theory? It uh, oh, I've read you, a better theory. Well, I think it's an incredible
1: coincidence they would look like animals if they didn't know what they <laughs> were doing. <taking. laughs> I mean, that would
3: explain the triangles. So yeah, yeah, I think they, they
2: would know. They didn't they, have
3: power flights, flight, so the question is, how did they know? There wow. are
2: hills around, so they'd be able to stand on the hills and okay. see them. Yeah. Have
3: you heard of hot air
0: balloon theory? Oh, God. (laughs) So, this is a man... Why do I get the feeling this is going to be full of hot air? (laughs) (laughs) This is a man uh, who is called Jim Woodman from the 1970s... 1% of him is owned by (laughs) Ikea. Yes. (laughs) In the 1970s, he put forward this theory that, in fact, the Nazca people did see these uh line formations and they did it from the air by hot air balloons which he believes they were able to build um and so what he said is that he noticed that um they had an amazing textile industry that uh had high grade weaving and clothes that's true yep so and he also said that, you know, um, they knew what smoke did. You know, they knew that hot air rised and so on. They knew, they knew the basic things, and all they needed to do was put two things together. We've so, not found any hot air balloons. Because, he says... They floated away, James.
2: <laughs> exactly. They floated away oh, oh to the 19th century.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> what he says is that they used it for burial rituals. So, what they were doing was they were putting the dead Nazca people inside the hot air balloons, and they would fly off into the Pacific mm-hmm. Ocean. So
2: but if That's
0: you happen crazy. to accidentally be in one of the funeral baskets of a hot air balloon mm. then you could see from above there's a few holes obviously in his sure. um in his theory, one is that he actually tested it out using the basic stuff that they had, and it could only make sort of awkward liftoffs for uh, a few minutes at a oh, time.
3: I read that they built
0: one; they got to about four hundred feet up. Oh well, maybe that maybe they kept going. Maybe this is an old article. No, this, um, why why, why was,
3: are you this, encouraging was, him? Because I think this actually holds a lot of water. This theory. So do you? No. you? Yes. So they, they were fresh, professional balloonists who built this trial balloon in 1975. Admittedly, they were doing it to a design from the 18th century. Still, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) But they used only things that the Nazca people would have had available to them. So only local cloths using the same sort of materials and crops. Uh, Even the fires that they got the hot air from were made using wood that was available locally. Mm. And it did work. I mean, obviously it would have been for a treat or a special occasion.
0: Right. Here's the problem with the Pacific Ocean burial theory is (laughs) that uh, the prevailing winds are going in a different direction (laughs) 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 so if the balloon did go up it would crash into the andes mountains on the east of it Yeah. yeah
2: but there are a lot of hills around there mountains, So you can see it from high up, I think.
0: Oh, that's another flaw to the theory of them not seeing it. You can actually see yeah. it from mountains. It's <laughs> way yeah.
1: easier. Is it not there's something about them all being along the same line of longitude or latitude? And they're all
2: basically in a straight line around the world, mm. correct? Or well, the people who I spoke to reckon that they are... Do you remember in the Viking times they would have like labyrinths and you would walk around them and it would be a kind of penance or it would be a kind of a religious walk or something like that. And they think a lot of them are because of that. Because if you look at them, they're like a labyrinth. There's one way in and one way out. And you can walk along them as they... That's cool. You know, If you think of a monkey, which is a line drawing you can walk into the tail, go all the way around it and then come out of one of the legs like or an etch of like sketcher thing. Exactly yeah. like that, yeah. But I think the truth is nobody knows because when the Spanish came, they got rid of all of um, the history and also they didn't write anything down, the Nazca people. Yeah. And actually none of the pre-Columbians wrote anything down. Well, they didn't have any writing.
0: Actually, Alex and I went to a talk where we found out how they were made oh yeah really? so we went to see this guy um a historian called eric von daniken oh, geez, and
1: oh <laughs> i was like what are you dragging me into this is so embarrassing <laughs> you came along oh, <laughs> and uh, eric von daniken
0: who was um a very big part of a tv series called ancient aliens but right. obviously writer of the book chariots of the gods mm. uh which was the global sensational best-selling uh, greatest book ever published piece also, of
2: bullshit. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: great nonfiction uh, that uh, yeah um, I, obviously that's a massive theory that they had help from aliens but obviously when you look at it it looks more like it's hot air balloons <laughs>
2: I don't like this tactic of you giving one ridiculous theory and then giving one even more ridiculous theory and expecting us to um, buy the second one. Sounds like a price. There's pro- there's a,
3: what is yeah, it? There's um, a pricing theory in shops where they say, Look, you can have this one, which is cheap and costs 50 quid. You can have yeah. this one, which costs 600 quid. Or you can have the 10,000 pounds one, so you get the 600 quid one.
1: Or it's like James thinking, the triangle now's going a bit shit because there's a monkey one right next to it. And it's like, it's still pretty high yeah. effort. Yeah. That's so, no, a
2: good line. That's true. Actually, um, while we were in Peru, we went to um, a place called the Sistine Chapel of America, uh, San Pedro de Andahuallayas, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very nice church, but the tour guide was a bit boring, so we kind of just <laughs> ducked out. And next to it, there was a little museum of like Nazca people, and they had a whole load of stuff about aliens. <laughs> <Did they? laughs> and it was a proper museum, and they had these, you know, these elongated skulls yeah. that they, they find sometimes and stuff like that. And they literally in this museum had no bit of saying no, it's not aliens. <laughs> They're just like nobody knows. <laughs> You're kidding? That's so cool. Ooh, I I think d- it was- as I was there, I was like, Dan. Was would love this <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's amazing. I think it was the previous people in the same area who made the elongated skulls. Mm. I can't remember the name because of the P, but um, mm. I've got it in my notes
2: somewhere. Um, do you know how the Nazca died out? Uh blow away. Um, Over farming or something sorry. really quite irritatingly dull. Is it El Nino or like some kind of weather yeah. phenomenon? Yeah it is. Yeah. I and mean, uh, Alex, I don't think it's irritatingly dull. But <laughs>
1: <sorry>. <laughs> if it is <laughs> what I meant was like not alien, like not like they weren't like wiped out a meteor, it was just like
3: Well, it is to do with crops. So <laughs> let's see how far we get, shall we? <laughs> so basically they, they used to live on these um, Trees called huarangos, which are very, very cool, very hardwood, very good for building things. And the roots go 150 feet down because it's so dry there. So they used to live on those. And then they started chopping them all down, kind of like Easter Island, so that they could grow crops, right? And then they grew loads and loads of crops. And then in about 500 AD, there was a massive flood which completely destroyed their civilization, swept across the plain, destroyed all their homes, and within 200 years they'd been conquered and died out. But the way we know this is so cool. A team from Cambridge University went there and they measured the amount of pollen in the soil at different depths... So they can say, "Ah, well, up to 400 AD, there's loads of huarango pollen. Then there's a bit of cotton pollen, and then suddenly there's this big boom in loads of other crops like squash oh, and mazes and things." Right. And that's how they knew that they chopped down all the trees in the area, and they were just having huge fields of crops instead. Oh, right. That's what doomed them. Wow! So did mm. they do crop circles
0: then as well? Oh. For the aliens? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> There is one theory, by the way, which is <laughs> um, it is it is to do with aliens, but it's a more it's <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's not like one of these unreasonable alien, no, no. It? it's a more scientific approach, which is that rather than the aliens built the line like us setting up SETI or things in order to look mm. to to the universe for signals of life, it was basically. Big SOS, not SOS, but you know what I mean. Like but it was their attempt to communicate. Their attempts attempt of this. saying there is life down here and drawing animals so that anyone looking down onto Earth might see that mm. things were man-made. That again, it's a, a theory I've not spoken <laughs> 2000 to. Two thousand years it. later, James flies over in a plane NAS Nasbyshire. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is Andy. My fact is that instead of going outside, the painter Gainsborough painted outdoor scenes by making a little model with moss and broccoli. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> so broccoli I mean, were his trees. Exactly. And
1: he used coal for boulders he used and coal. little pebbles for stones. Exactly. So and he, he was board. a famous
3: landscape painter. Mm. and British, right? British. Uh, was born in 1727, just to give you an idea. Died in 1788. And yeah, he would make for inspiration these weird little models. And, and he used broccoli for trees. It's all because it's basically a piece of art for another piece of art. Yeah, it is. Yeah. He wasn't painting directly from them, but it was to give him ideas of what he wanted to move where. What, goes yeah. where
2: and, what goes where and yeah because yeah,
3: it's much easier to move a piece of broccoli than it is to move a tree
1: and it's all about the shape of the painting like he he was really precise about exact the exact shape of his hills and where the cow would go mm. and everything did they he always, have little cows
2: yep Great. What were they made of? Like cockroaches? Or? Yeah, that's right.
3: That's why if you look closely at a Gainsborough painting, all the cows have little antenna and hard shell-like bodies. <laughs> One of the reasons that he's not as
0: famous, I didn't know his name, I have to admit, um, and he gets often compared to, is it Constable, who lived very much near him, and I think partly the reason is he was held back slightly by his little broccoli model village. <laughs> <laughs> because with Constable there's a great thing of geographically you can visit all of the lands mm, that he was painting that's and that's true. a huge oh. thing to go there and wander through the fields and look at the trees that were you know in his paintings but yeah Where's um, that? sorry I've eaten it <laughs> 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 it was delicious <laughs>
3: It is tragic, though, because he loved landscapes, but the thing that sold and made you money at the time was portraits, obviously, for wealthy people commissioning pictures. But he just wanted to do the landscapes. That's all he was really interested in. Mm. So it's really sad. They only became popular as things you could buy just in their own right after his death. His brothers were quite interesting. His, His brother, Humphrey... Yeah. was a mechanic,
1: and he invented a method of um, condensing steam in, in sort of separate containers that then um, James Watt used when he was developing his Did he? Engine. Yeah.
3: How can you find that interesting? And stuff about pollen in the Nazca region is <laughs> irritatingly dull. No, no, I mean, he's, he said irrigating. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, and his other brother was called um, John, but they everyone called him Scheming Jack because he, he used to come up with little ideas for curiosity. Yeah, he That's had he invented
0: cool. copper wings that he tried to fly with, and he had a self copper. yeah, and he had a self rocking crib and um, a cuckoo that cuckoo's all year long a cuckoo clock. Um, That's useful. Wait, well, yeah. he invented a,
3: a cuckoo clock. Yeah,
0: that cuckooed all year long.
3: Well, most cuckoo clocks that are made in yeah. Germany or whatever yeah. they don't only. Do it once do it during spring no but they do it like once an hour right
1: i think his was just cooking literally all the time. <laughs> was,
2: they sound like quite a group of um you know the brothers are all making things aren't they yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. that's what i mean it was quite an interesting spread
2: you often get that with this with this, this with like historical families they often have really interesting is
3: it because they're all rich and they don't have to do proper jobs Probably. i think he wasn't very rich to start off he became very wealthy um and he got really annoyed later in life because he got annoyed with customers saying, can you paint my child dressed up as Henry VIII, please? But I want you to get my child exactly right. And he said, you're not going to get a good likeness of your child
2: if he's dressed as Henry VIII in this painting. <laughs> I read that he painted with paint brushes that were six feet long. I read that. I th- I'm not sure whether it's completely true. Yeah. Supposedly what he did was he
3: put the canvas he was painting on right next to the person sitting for the painting. <laughs> and then he'd paint from
1: a bit further back. That's an unbelievable amount of precise skill if you can do that and paint a vague likeness of someone's (laughs) style.
3: (laughs) Have you heard about his his huge rivalry? Oh, with
2: Joshua Reynolds. With
3: Joshua Reynolds, uh, who was another very famous artist of the time. Mm -hmm. And um, they just really got on each other's nerves. And so once Joshua Reynolds insisted... That blue wasn't really a good colour in- <laughs> I think he was saying that It should mostly be used in small amounts Unless you're painting the sky, obviously But anyway, one of Gainsborough's most famous paintings Is called The Blue Boy Oh yeah. As a young man who is in a completely blue suit uh-huh. So there is a theory that says That uh, this was painted as a riposte to Reynolds Saying L- you can use blue in paintings
2: Or oh, the other argument is He painted the blue boy And then Reynolds said, actually blue And you should really only paint girls <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there is a painting they've
3: recently found, which was by Gainsborough, and then someone slagged it off to the man who'd had it commissioned, and mm-hmm. the man who'd had it commissioned hired Reynolds to repaint everything except her face and <laughs> <laughs> But now the painting is 80% different, so underneath 80% of it is an original Gainsborough, and wow. then the, the top 80% is a Reynolds, which is such yeah. a deep criticism
0: um just a few other odd ways that artists okay. can paint these days different methods um this is really interesting in ukraine there is a series of scuba divers that now go down and do underwater colours. Yes, yeah, colour yeah. paintings, yeah. And um, they, so they go underwater for up to 40 minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. They bring with them canvases that are obviously water-resistant, and they use water-resistant paints. Um, but now there are all these landscapes of underneath the ocean, you know, of seaweed and so on, painted from the bottom of the ocean. Wow. Really cool idea. That's tough
2: if you can't use blue as well, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that the US Navy's submarines are starting to control their periscopes with Xbox controllers. It's amazing. She's starting to. So they've started trialing the use of it. The trials went very well, and now they're implementing it properly into the name. (laughs) Uh, The idea behind this, I used to have in my head the way that periscopes work, and I think I got this from Batman movies from the 60s. You used to have some person looking through almost like the Peep Show contraption, Mm -hmm. these binoculars that would be sent up to the surface, and you would move it around like that. These days, they have a joystick, And the joystick, people have been finding very hard to use. And they started testing it out then by using Xbox controllers, thinking, let's see how this goes down well. And everyone has taken to it surprisingly well to the point of accuracy that it just makes more sense to do it, both for the accuracy and then secondly for the cost. Because these controllers cost nothing, but these joysticks that they're paying for each time costs you know tens of it's thousands of dollars. It's hard to get dollars.
2: joysticks these days, isn't it? It's hard to mm-hmm. get joysticks, yeah. Is it,
1: can you use any? Are you allowed to use Wii controllers if you prefer?
0: It's
3: dangerous using a Wii controller, yeah. though, because if you wave your arm it you <laughs> might fire a torpedo by the <laughs>
2: <laughs> But that's what happened when Wii first came out, isn't it? Everyone smashed everything in their houses. <laughs> yeah. <That's>, yeah. <laughs> that was a big thing, wasn't yeah. it, at the time? And you really? don't want to smash a window in a
0: submarine. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, um, the I believe that the captains and so on who've been talking about the fact that this is going to go into place are saying, you know, if one breaks and you happen to be near land, you can just go to a local shop, buy a new <laughs>
3: Xbox control. It does, it, of course, the thing about being a submarine is there's no guarantee you'll be near land. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. Well, they should, yeah, maybe they should buy a few to bring with them. So I was looking into uh, periscopes. Oh, yeah. So I didn't know that... Um, periscopes were not invented for the submarine. They were invented or popularised, if you like, by the First World War in the trenches. And the other thing that was invented was the periscope rifle, where you attach the firing mechanism and the rifle to um, a periscope, so you can fire from the safety of your own trench, oh. completely inside your trench. Now, the disadvantage was that they were much less accurate than, a, than actually looking through the size of a proper rifle, obviously, because they were a bit sure. jerry-rigged. But they were used a great deal in the campaign at Gallipoli, uh, and in Gallipoli, accuracy mattered a lot less because some trenches were five yards away from each other.
2: No, Whoa. yes. Oh my God. Um, so during World War I, um, the Allies tried to train seagulls to defecate on the periscopes of U boats mm. um, so they wouldn't be able to see where they were going.
3: How did it go?
2: It didn't go so well. <laughs> uh, the main problem was twofold. <laughs> Um, they couldn't tell the difference between friendly subs and enemy subs. Uh, And also they don't tend to go out to sea very much, seagulls. (laughs) They tend to live on cliffs where there aren't so many uh, submarines. Around the home, basically. So the other thing they did was they would um, send two swimmers to a um, submarine. One would have a black bag and the other one would have a hammer. And the first one would try and put the black bag over the periscope so they couldn't see where they were going. And if he failed, the other one would smash the glass with a hammer.
3: It feels like the second guy is the most important one. Yeah. Because he can do the most damage. Yeah. No,
2: No, the
1: second guy feels like an afterthought of a plan, being like, and what if that doesn't work, sir? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Smash it with a hammer.
3: You'd think that one swimmer could cope with having <laughs> yeah. a black bag and a hammer <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean how big were hammers back in the first world war they were like... small but black bags were massive
2: <laughs> um, do you know there are some golf courses which have periscopes James you like golf really? you might, I isn't. do I know that um, if you go and watch um, golf tournaments or you, this happened in the past I don't know if it still happens I haven't been to one for ages but you would be able to buy little periscopes and because <sighs> everyone stands around the green because they want to watch what's happening yeah um, there's only so much space, there's lots of people, so you can see over the top of people's that heads. That is great. Oh, wow. James,
3: this is not universal. You haven't missed it at every course you've been to. Sure. But- there are golf courses which have periscopes. I found one from the 20s and then I found one <laughs> modern one one modern one modern where the first hole is quite hard to see oh, yeah. to the green. Yeah. So you need to see if the previous golfing party have moved uh, off the green before you drive a golf ball at them towards mm, the green. Yeah. So they have a 30-foot high periscope, which is from an old Navy submarine. They took I it off in the 60s cool. and they installed it at the golf course so you can just check out the lie of the land ahead of you, whether wow. it's safe to
2: play. There are a lot of courses that you have blind shots that you can't see the. Shot, but the way they deal with it is with a little bell. Um, after you've played your shot, you ring the bell so it's safe for the other guys to play behind oh. you. But you may not know
3: if there's no one there. You've, you've come after they've left, no one's there to ring the bell. Yeah, what you need is a constantly ringing cuckoo clock <laughs> you can set going. <laughs> <laughs> you can slightly pause. Briefly. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's a problem, it's constantly ringing. Yeah. But then you get there and you hold the beak of the cuckoo exactly. Yeah. while trying to swing. I think this is how Crazy Golf was invented.
1: (laughs)
0: okay that's it that is all of our facts thank you so much for listening if you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast we can be found on our twitter accounts I'm on at Schreiberland James at Eggshaped, Andy at Andrew Hunter M and Alex at Alex Bell yep or you can go to our twitter account at nosuchthing or you can email us on podcast at qi.com and also you can go to our website nosuchthingasafish.com we have all of our previous episodes up there we have links to our tour in October and november and we also have a link to our book the book of the year coming out november the second we'll be back again next week if you want to chat to us about this week's episode we're going to be on facebook live this monday five thirty p.m uk time and we'll see you again next week with another episode goodbye